All right. Well, so I want to go over a few things that are kind of a lead-in, if you would. Um, something that we know is in our world, but it's not something that we always consciously bring to the forefront of our mind. Since the Garden of Eden, there has been a growing promotion, a deceptive thought and, and theory that God is not to be trusted and that he's holding out on us and that he's not needed. See, God had given instruction to Adam and Eve for their family. Now, we know they chose to go otherwise. Otherwise, they rebelled, we're told. It's referred to as the, the fall of man here with God and then taking a terrible turn down, choosing to rebel against his instruction. The ending result in the mercy of God that they would not eat of the tree of life and live forever in this fallen state, they got evicted out of the Garden of Eden, basically. God had given them instruction how to live outside the garden, quite honestly. Two of their sons knew the instruction, but each had a different action in regards to following that instruction. Cain, we know, was self-focused, and Abel was faith-focused, eyes upon God. God looked upon Abel's offering of faith, and he looked away from Cain's selfish offering. Cain, the brother, older brother, is, is upset that Abel's offering by faith was received. So what does Cain do? He kills his brother. He kills, is actually the first, uh, this is the beginning of religion, if you would. Doing it your way instead of doing what God has to say. The my way religion, if you would, of this world will always be angry at true expressions of faith. If you walk by faith, literally biblical faith, it's not self-promotion, but it's literally a focus upon God. Not just in Christianese cliches and terminologies, but in genuine commitment to God. You know, people will be angry at that. Even some that profess Christian to be Christians will be angry with that. They will want to know why you don't join their group or attend their party or do their thing. And, and because you're doing it a little different, some will even carry that anger. You know, they just really go over the top with it. It's as simple as religion versus relationship. You ever heard that term? It's not about religion. It's about relationship. That is so true. It is so simple. And it's about a relationship with the living God. And, and so we see from the Old Testament repeatedly the Israelites went against God. They, they were contrary to what he said, as, as if God could not be trusted. Why have you brought us into the wilderness to die? We were better off where? As slaves being beaten and starved in Egypt. That was better than wandering by faith in the wilderness. What an idiot. I mean, how could you conjure up that kind of logic unless... You have somehow, to at least a degree, believed what was said to Eve. How is God not said? You know, Eve was deceived. She was basically taught and presented. God's holding out on you. You, you can't trust God. He, he actually is keeping you from something better, which we know is still kind of a mindset. You know, the, the Israelites went on as they are in the promised land. As they're now starting to grow, 
Why can't we have a king like all the other nations? And God said, in summary, because that's stupid. That's a mistake. The king, this aristocracy, this type of government, looking to man in the world system, they will take your kids, they will take your money, they will tax you and take advantage of you. Are you sure you want to do that? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, why would you say that? Because deep down, there's just something creeping in in the, in the reality of, our, of who we are as people. We're, we're thinking that we actually can do it a little better than what God's saying. We're not convinced he can be trusted. We're not actually sure that this is the way we should do it. It didn't end on the cross. It didn't stop when the New Testament started, so to speak, as we consider the format of our Bibles. It continues today. I'll do it my way, and God will have to accept what I give him. See, it's still happening. No one's that brazen, if you would, in conversation. It usually sounds something like this. Well, the Spirit's leading me to do it this way. I believe God wants me to do this instead. Contrary to clear instruction. Others' questions, they reflect a belief, or at least a perception, That God's not knowable or even trustworthy. These are questions that many of us are still reconciling. We're still working through. If God is good, then why did this happen? If God is good, then how come this takes place? Now, if you've not yet come to know Jesus, then that question is a reasonable place to begin your search. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do not know you're born again, because you should know by faith in Christ that you're born of the Spirit, born again, because of His righteousness, His work, everything He accomplished and offered to you as a free gift. If you haven't entered into that relationship, then it, it, you know, from this question, well, if God is good, then why this? It, it's a good place to start. You could begin weighing out, well, what is good and what is not good? That would be your first question, wouldn't it? If, if we believe God is not good, if there is a God, then why did he do this, good or evil? Well, you'd want to weigh that out. You could wrestle with the fact of mortality and consider eternity. Have you ever heard somebody say this? I'm confident you haven't. Well, Aunt Martha passed away. I'm kind of glad it was good for her. There's never a good time to die, ever. No one looks at mortality, you know, yeah, we'd logically reason it through if there's an illness or something, but we don't wish that upon anybody because of what reason? We're aware of mortality, that we won't live forever. But being aware of it doesn't cause us to say, well, what happens after this very often? See, that sense of like, well, why, why is, if God is good, why does he do this? See, that, that's good to, to come into a relationship with the Lord. Now, I made a distinction between someone who has not yet come into a relationship and somebody, therefore, the other would be someone who already has a relationship. If you've come to know him, then you need to rethink why you might think he's not trustworthy. See, at the core of this question, if God is good, then why am I sick? If God is good, why did my niece die before her first birthday? Do you see what's it's actually resonating from the heart and working through the logic because there's this deception that the enemy has sown and promoted that God cannot be trusted. Even throwing in the possibility, maybe there is no God, which is really kind of silly. 
Because the order of the world we see has design, consistency, predictability, pattern, which doesn't just produce itself. There's a designer. So when we're considering some of these things that come at us, and maybe you're like, man, I've never thought that. Hang on, Hilda, because you might be. Just things happen. Look around the world we live in. Today I want to consider some clear statements and noble truths about the nature of God from Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Pastor Dan, you just finished 16 on Wednesday night. How'd this happen? Well, I'll work on 17 next Wednesday. Today we're in 19, and we'll catch up on Wednesdays. It's okay. Thanks for paying attention. Let's catch the context of chapter 19, and then we can consider what this is about, this content. In chapter 16, it ends with the seventh and final bold judgment poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. We're going through this, this letter, Revelation, and we're seeing things happening on earth and things happening in heaven simultaneously. But it's all forward, future for you and me. We haven't got there yet. It's a, we're we're, we're going to see it in time, but we're not there yet. So we're looking ahead at what's happening. This judgment on a Christ-rejecting world has been revealed through a seal judgment, seven, bowl judgments, I mean trumpet judgments, and then these bowl judgments, incremental. So we've seen that in chapter 16, and then chapter 17 and 18, which we'll catch up on, is the, is the political, economic, religious center of the world is conquered. And, and I believe what we see, and what I alluded to coming out of the Garden of Eden, and what has been promoted and, and grown in proportion and rapid, more rapidly recently, is a man's attempt to get by without God. To first deny that there is a God, and then to get by without God. And that's going to be, reach its pinnacle, its peak, in what's called Babylon, in reference to man's efforts to create something and have something apart from God, political, economic, and religious. Well, it's conquered, and this whole, you know, God will do it my way because I got the right way thing is just shut down. The account of what's happening in heaven when the Antichrist answer to humanity is dethroned is what we find in chapter 19. Now, we're just going to cover the first seven verses. After you know, this, we see the battle of Armageddon leading into the thousand-year reign, the final victory of God over his enemies, and it was, all that will be revealed in the, the latter part of chapter 19 through chapter 22 as we, as we close out this letter in the next few weeks. Today, though, let's read chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Now, John is sharing what God has showed him. He's seen things unfolding on earth. He sees how this has taken place. And then now we see his, he's seeing these things in heaven. After these things, chapter 17, 18, even 1 through 16, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Verse 5, then a voice came from the throne 
saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Next week, we're going to look into some details in relationship to that statement, the the marriage and this amazing thing that God set in place. We're going to look at some things in that ceremony that sync and tie together with the teachings of Jesus through the Gospels. And I think it'll be real encouraging. But tonight, today, we're we're going to keep going here. We're going to go back up to verse 1. And we're going to see what is really, I think, beautifully embedded and perfectly timed, of course, is these attributes, these qualities, these characteristics, these distinctives that are necessary that we are reminded and even remember that these are things about God. After Babylon, which is the world religious system, and Babylon, the political economic system, is over, the residents that are on earth who have arrogantly and defiantly mocked God, because you think about seven years of tribulation are taking place. This is certainly clear, really near the end of the tribulation that we're, our timing of this. The people that are still on the earth continue to blaspheme God and arrogantly mock him. They've had a system that they were seeing grow, and this, this one world government and economic system was growing in power and in prestige and prominence, and then it got destroyed. But they who mocked God will now be wailing and weeping. They won't be repenting, very few. But they'll be mad that he took away their toy. They'll carry on in in sad ways. But in heaven, a great multitude is singing. This is you and me. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. We'll be a part of this company. But the word used here, we see to start out in verse 1 of chapter 19. Alleluia. It's, it's um, transliteration into the Greek of the Hebrew word, meaning praise the Lord. What's interesting, this is the only time this word is used in the New, Te- New Testament. And in what we've read today are the only four times it's actually even used. Find that interesting, don't you? That there's such a word that is held, that it just speaks of praising the Lord. To, to, it's, it's actually been put aside until this point in history that this type of declaration and this praise would be taking place. Alleluia is a decision. It's a declaration and it's an encouragement. Praise the Lord. It's a choice. Now I know in personally, I think in some Christian circles, praise the Lord is just said so frequently that the redundancy seems to diminish the impact. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily true. It just appears that way sometimes. But this is an interesting point because this, is, this degree of praise is only presented here after the falling religious system, after it's failed. And now in heaven, we're going to have a new word, if you would, that speaks of praising the Lord. And notice what is said about the Lord. These things belong to him. See there as it continues, praise the Lord, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And as I we're going through this, I'm hoping that you're you're encouraged and, and maybe even refreshed and maybe can reset some thinking that that's always in the front. 
Don't let the influence of the world around you become forefront. It's going to be there. You're going to have to just keep it in the back, so to speak. Your priority would be more to the forefront. Salvation belongs to God. Well, but I thought it meant we were saved. Yes. Not of your works. Not of anything that I could do. You, I, we receive salvation. He owns it. It's his salvation extended to humanity. The Old Testament had a great purpose. It laid out a standard and gave you the top 10 and said, knock these out and you'll have it covered. And so when you, I, anyone tried to follow those 10, it revealed, I can't. I can't do that. Bingo. You can't do it of your own effort. The purpose of the Old Testament, of the law, and of the commandment was to declare and prove to you and I that we need a Savior and that salvation can only come from God. So salvation, it speaks of there, not just the covenant and the rebirth that we would oftentimes think of when we hear that word, but it speaks of deliverance, to save, to rescue. So Christians... Having born-again experience in this truth of salvation, have an ongoing work of salvation in your lives. Do you feel you, have you been delivered from anything since you got saved? Now you're born again, you have salvation, it's his salvation. But you notice as we learn to trust in him, and not in our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge him, he directs our steps. And so that's so fascinating because, you know, you're directed and you're, you, you, you're actually diverted. You're delivered from some stupid ideas. You, don't look at me like I'm the only idiot here. Seriously. There's a lot of dumb things that we would do if we weren't delivered. So because I'm born again, I don't do things I used to do. I don't avoid those practices so I can be saved. But because I've been saved, born again, God's given you and me, the person of the Holy Spirit, to direct our steps. So some of you have been Christians so long, you don't remember how bad you used to be in a daily practice. The things you used to do, and now you're like, I don't, I don't do that. You were delivered because you were saved. The ongoing work of salvation belongs to God. And I hope we never get to the point that we're so saved we don't need the Savior. That we're so sure that what we do is what we should do, that we can't be corrected. That we can't be instructed. Because I think that's a scary place to go. I'm glad I have the salvation that caused me to be born again, a regenerated person, born of the Spirit, as you, as a born-again Christian, have. But I'm also glad for this salvation this deliverance, this rescue work that God continues to do in my life as I entertain idiotic ideas, he's like, think about it. Think about it. Good point. Now, I think it's just me exercising wisdom. I think I'm just a good Christian and making better choices. But in reality, it's the person of the Holy Spirit stirring within my heart and mind and leading me in a way that I can make choices that are really what I want to do in the first place. We see not only salvation... Also, glory belongs to God. Praise, um, high opinion. I'm glad that we can speak very transparently with God. Um, as even as he says, you know, we have this element of the relationship that we're his friends, that so we can speak in that friendly thing. 
type of engagement. With friends, you talk about things that are more personal, more intimate, and deeper. But never let the friendship be above the lordship. He's still God. So we have this, this relationship, but we have to keep it in high opinion. Does that help you understand what glory, his glory is? We, in a relational sense, we want to, we want to praise him. We have a high opinion. I want to see him glorified in my life. I don't want people to look at my life and go, I'm glad he said he's a Christian because I wouldn't have known if he wouldn't have told me. His outward expression doesn't indicate there's any type of regeneration. See, I hope that my words, my actions, our decisions as we are Christians would, would actually reflect a high opinion. We have a high regard for the person of God. We also know from this text that, you know, that salvation and glory and honor... Honor speaks of value. You honor something that you highly value. It does indicate, of course, reverence, which is, speaks of fear, not um, in a fear that's unpredictable and unknowable, but you revere the mighty power of God. This is going to sound silly, but I think it'll make sense for those of you who understand how silly men can be. So I used to race motorcycles. It was an adrenaline thing. It's what we did. It's what I did as a family. That's just what we did on Sundays. We just went to the racetrack and we raced. And I started on a 1973 Honda XR75. And that's what my dad was able to buy. And I rode, me and my brother both got new ones. And I rode that 75 and then I upgraded into a 125. I'm like, whew, this has got a lot of power and it's tall and tippy and I'm not so big. But from a 125, I went to a Yamaha IT200. It's an enduro-style bike, so it wasn't specifically designed just for the racetrack. But then I went to a YZ490. A YZ490 is big. It's a, it's a two-stroke, which some of you are going, one, two, or what? You know, anyway, here, track with me. It's got mega power. Mega power. You didn't just crack the throttle on unless you wanted to lay on your back. I revered that power. I recognize that. I wasn't thinking that it's going to just take off out from under me with no apparent, for no apparent reason. See, I know it sounds silly, but it's, it's a parallel. You revere that power. We recognize it. How much greater do we honor God who spoke the world into existence, who broadcast the stars to indicate to us he could do it in such simplicity, but yet with perfection and power. We, we honor that. We, we recognize that. And then, of course, power speaks of strength and ability not only speaking of ability, but capacity and will. So all glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. If we can just kind of keep, as I said, keep that in the forefront of our mind. It changes how we interpret temporal situations. It changes how we process a physician's prognosis. It changes how we deal with things because we're keeping in the forefront of our mind, he is God and I am not. And salvation and glory and honor and power belong to our God. I think it's fascinating as well because they belong to the Lord our God. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments. Although we're individually at times and seasons and situations we're disturbed and really even deeply saddened by what happens here on earth 
God will judge the earth. Back in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, we were told, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. It sounds silly, a little too simplistic, but you're a saint or an ain't. It's not a measure of achievement that you can reach sainthood. You're a saint because you're saved by the work of Jesus Christ. That brings you into the family of God. You don't then just you know, get a higher standing because somehow you impress the living God. And I have to say that because some, you know, sometimes we're told otherwise in various religious structure. But you're either with God or not. And all those who know God were told there, declare just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. When you go through confusing times, when you deal with heartache, when you're awake in the night and you can't sleep and your tears are just rolling down your eyes and you can't reconcile relationships and you can't fix your reality, realize this, for all of eternity, he is the king of the saints. He, he is your king. And certainly there's some things that are just hard to smile about and to be happy for. But we can learn to be joyful for. Power speaks of his presence. We see this true and righteous are his judgments. We know truth is a negotiable term for those who don't know truth. What really is, is what truth is. I don't mean to overly simplify it, but you've got to have it in a sense. What is true? What is truth? It's what really is. Well, I feel... Well, okay, you feel. Good to know you have feelings. It doesn't change truth. Well, I, 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 you know, well, most of the people I'm around, well, the majority doesn't decide what truth is. It's not a diplomatic or a democratic um, decision. It is what it is. Remember Pontius Pilate's statement to Jesus? As Jesus is like, not playing his game and all getting drawn into cliches and cultural arguments. He says to Jesus, what is truth? A Roman official, a governor of Judea, mocking the idea of absolute truth. And so over here on your display button, you can go fast forward 2,000 plus years. Stop at 2022. It's actually supposed to be 2022 because everything reset in 2020. Nonetheless, you fast forwarded to that, and you're going to notice a culture today that's shifting. It's to feeling-based, a subjective society. That's why you scratch your head when you see some of these silly actions taking place. Like, just, you know, just, just remove a police department and let everybody police themselves. Because deep down, I feel that people will do good when they're given the opportunity to do good. Seriously, are you kidding me? It's subjective. It's a feeling base. I just want people to have the opportunity. We must understand feelings are important. Don't ever misunderstand that. Feelings compel you. Emotions move you. They're beneficial, but they are not our foundation for reasoning. Truth is the base of our reasoning. When Jesus is true and righteous, we have to remember that. We want to make sure in our mind that we push back this influence and we bring forward this truth. I'm not driven by culture. I'm transformed by my creator. 
And I have to discern. You have to be able to say, okay, what is truth? How is this going down? There's, the text tells us two reasons that he's declared righteous at the end of this, this tribulation period. Notice in verse 2, true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. The harlot, speaking of this whore of Babylon, as the, some t- translations speak of it, is taken not only a physical, but more of a spiritual point that when God's people commit to him, it's commitment. It's kind of like the marriage relationship. But then when they devote their heart and they commit their time and they invest into idols, it's a type of spiritual adultery. Being drawn by the enticement and the appearance and the presentation of the systems around us, we're more drawn to that than devotion to the living God. And so we know that whole system. And notice it says it corrupted This system corrupted the earth, drew people away. Why is God spoken of in this particular passage as being, um, it says they're true and righteous? Because he's judged, and really we can see as we will study 17 and 18 on Wednesdays, that he he took out that system. This deception, this, this intricate involvement and influence that even pulls Christians away. But even catches them off guard. And it, and it peaked and, and it reached this pinnacle, this, this you know, final point in chapter 17 and 18. And, and we know it's coming. You know of a one world government. Have you ever heard of that? You know of what the Bible speaks of. Where there will be this ecumenical unity which is completely ununified. Is all, everybody's going to get along and everybody's going to ha- be happy. And we'll all have the same faith except one group of people. One group of people will be completely um, hated, seriously, when that one world system is put in place. It's Christians. Because we believe the truth, not the feeling, the truth, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so we either deny that or we die for that. That's what's going to happen in the tribulation period. Now, I said we. You don't have to worry about it. As a Christian, you won't be there. If you're not yet a Christian, you're being silly because you're preparing yourself to go into a time that is beyond what you can imagine as far as terrible and horrible. So God has judged this great harlot, what we read about here. He conquers the system. The other reason we're told that he's righteous and true, he has avenged on her, this harlot, the blood of his servants shed by her. See, during the tribulation period, many Christians will die. They will come to know Jesus, they're now born again, and then they will be killed because of their faith in Christ. High percentage, high majority, that's what's going to happen. And the world system will be judged. He will call it out. You, you and I know this. It's even going to happen from what happens today because that system's already in place. It just hasn't reached its peak. Right now, many people are killed in Africa, in China, in many Muslim countries. They're they're slaughtered just simply because they're Christians. And this tells us that God will judge that. It's not that he doesn't notice, like, well, I hope he comes soon, because, man, we're dying off left and right. We're losing the battle. These people are winning. These evil people are killing good people. It's, It's not outside of his observation. His timing is perfect, and he's righteous and true, and he will deal with these things. 
Moving on, we see in verse 3, again, they say, praise the Lord, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Smoke speaks of defeat and destruction in this context. A smoldering structure that will never be rebuilt. This, this system that's growing right now and moving more rapidly, as we see in chapter 17 and 18, it will be destroyed. And it will never be rebuilt. It'll be done. And he says, praise the Lord. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah, amen. It's like, I hold that truth as my own, so be it. Praise the Lord, this will take place. 24 elders in a continual attitude and expression of praise and worship. Heaven will be that way. It's, it's, it won't be like what we have here. It's, it's going to be an element of it. But when we have praise and worship, we also have bodily distractions, our sensory, our sensory disturbances, and our mind that wonders why that person does it that way, why this person does it that way, how come this isn't that way. It's just that this is your life. That won't be there. We will be able to worship and have an expression. Everything that hinders worship here will be absent there. Can you imagine? Everything. Your, your mind that interferes with worship because you realize hard things are happening and difficult things are taking place and people are dying. And that, that realization interferes sometimes. Your perception about what people might think. All these different things that are just real in our heads, in our life. That will be removed. So some have said, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. I've heard this said, I'd rather go to hell and party with my friends and sit and play a harp all day on a cloud in heaven. You can't change hell to be what you want it to be. Hopefully you'll realize what heaven will be. It's a certain to realize everything that hinders worship here will be absent from, from heaven. Moving on to verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne. It could have been Jesus' voice. Many come, uh, scholars believe that. Others say it's just a loud voice because he isn't personally recognized. But nonetheless, what is stated in verse 5 Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. Those who revere him. Those who have had a small task or a big task. Those who are in heaven making this declaration and praise to him. Whoever they are, pray, they'll praise him. And this will take place. We're reading of an event to come. And we have opportunity even to practice some of this in the current days. Everyone praises him with order. Harmony and unity, great and small, carrying us into verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reign. We are there. Those saved from the tribula- during the tribulation, the tribulation saints who are now in heaven, and those, or will be in heaven at that time, will all be there. The Old Testament saints. Those who led the worship in, 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 you know, uh, around the, uh, um, Jerusalem and those that were there in the tabernacle and all these people that, you know, not everyone, because not everyone put their faith in Christ or put their faith in God. But you think everyone who is born again through all history, you know, some way we, we read, we sing some hymns and I'm looking forward to those who wrote some of those hymns to lead us in those hymns or to stand next to them in those hymns. And to be able to sing, and it's going to be an amazing thing. We, were, we are all singing in joyful admiration of the living God. Alleluia. Praise the Lord. Notice this says, Lord. 
It's the, the, the Greek word, kurios, speaks of a master. Not, oh, I wish it was this way. Can we do this song next? It's submission. It's lordship. God, theos. God, the God. Lord, God, omnipotent. Speaks of all powerful. It's where we actually get the, we would translate or say the English word almighty. The almighty reigns. Reigns. He rules. He exercises kingly power. That's the scene. That's the setting. And you know, there's much that we can enjoy even now. Let's finish out with verse 7, the first portion. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. That's an option we have right now. Can we agree? That's a choice that we can make. Yeah, you'll get bad news. Yeah, you won't feel good. Yeah, if you live long enough, you'll die from something. I don't mean to bust out new truth on anybody, but that's a fact. And sometimes in that process of departure leading up to it, you're going to hurt. You're going to ache. Certain things are going to be taking place. Your body, it's going to get worse from a bodily sense, from the tent perspective. But even in the midst of that, God gives us the reason, the power, the knowledge of his presence, the the awareness of his character, the knowledge of his nature, that we can sing to him. We can be glad and rejoice and give him glory. You know, chapter 19 is a time to come at the end of the tribulation. But the instruction we read is the mindset, the attitude of the born-again Christian today. So, why don't we have the worship team come up, and we will conclude in a song of praise. If you would turn with me while they're coming up here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. It's an interesting petition, a very reasonable request. Presented, I believe, in in a type of prayer and and blessing. So if you'd stand with me, we'll pray that through, and then the worship team will carry us through our time remaining. Let's pray. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the refreshing reminder, the reassurance from your word, that you are just and true and righteous and holy. Forgive me, Lord, forgive us where we've allowed the influence of this world, the the terrible things taking place, to somehow cloud our view of you, to in some ways keep us from seeing the reality of eternity and even our purpose here temporarily. God, continue to open our eyes. We would make this request. God, you are the God of peace. We petition, we request you that you would sanctify us completely, make our whole body, soul, and spirit to be preserved blameless at the coming, at your return, Lord Jesus. You who call us, you are faithful. You will do it. And so, Lord, we just ask by faith, believing that you will continue the work you've started in our lives. For anyone who hasn't taken that first step, I would love to talk to you after service. I would even encourage you right now, just admit you need God. Acknowledge that you have done wrong. You say literally in your heart of hearts to the creator of the universe, to Jesus himself, you would say, God, forgive me 
for my sins, for what I've done. I don't even know how to go through this whole process, but I would just request you forgive me. I believe that you are God, that you rose from the dead, that only you can forgive me. And so give me, if you would please, this born-again life you speak of. Help me to know you. Keep me, O God, from going back to where I was and lead me in the way you would have me to go. Teach me what it means to walk by faith. Give me that measure of faith as a gift that only you can provide. Put my faith in you, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Let's sing to him.